Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. And now it's my honor and pleasure to uh, not really introduce, he's a, he's a friend of ours. Matt Von Stein will be bringing us the word this morning. He is a local director with Young Life in this area, and we are so grateful to have him as part of the family and part of the teaching team here at Grace. Matt. Hey, good morning, Grace Fellowship. It's good to be with you. It's really good to be with you. Um, Yes, my name is Matthew Von Stein. Uh, ben got that right. Uh, my, my family and I call Grace Fellowship our home. I'm the director of Young Life here in York uh, in Adams County, and I have the honor of continuing our Advent series uh, together. Um, I think when we think about peace in Christmas, we think about these words in Isaiah 9 that we're so used to hearing every year. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice forever and ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. God, I ask you that this morning, that for everyone here, including me, that we would learn more of who you are, more about who we are and who we are in you. God, may these be your words. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. May I tell you a story? All right. All right, I want you to picture it. A little boy on the floor and a dad on a couch. The two-year-old has just stacked his blocks rather high and it was time to make sure that Dad saw it. Dad, dad, he repeated as he pointed to the blocks. His father looked up from his book, or let's be honest, his cell phone, (laughs) and saw the tower that his son had constructed so proudly. Dad looked back down at his book, and as he did, he performed his fatherly duty to encourage his son. Hey, nice tower, buddy. The room fell silent. There was something missing. The boy knew it, but he didn't know what it was. Something unsaid, something not done. His father's reply was totally unsatisfying for this little guy. The boy, determined, climbed onto the couch where his father sat reading and sipping his coffee. Dada, dad. He tried again to point out his work. 
Yeah, big tower. Awesome little man. His dad said these words, but his attention still remained in his book that he held. The room fell silent, but only for a moment. There was still something missing, something totally unsatisfied, unmet. And this time, the young boy, without thinking really, knew exactly what he needed to do. This was not a complicated plan. This was something built in, something like instinct. He moved close to his father and put both of his little hands on either side of his father's unshaven face and turned his father's face towards his own. The father allowed his son to do so and looked at the little boy and their faces only inches apart. Dada, look! This time, and perhaps for the first time, really, the father finally became aware of his son. He began to smile, and, as his, son st- and his son still held his face with his small hand as he pointed to the blocks with the other They both looked at the blocks together and they met eye to eye again. And finally, the man reading a book realized that he needed to be more than just a disengaged parent. He put his book down and held his son. Hey, buddy, he said softly. Did you make that? "Uh Uh-huh, little boy said, his eyes absolutely beaming in pride. He smiled and he laughed with his dad. Did you stack those blocks all by yourself? Uh Uh-huh, the boy said again. And without knowing why, he held his breath for what he knew was next. Hey, little man, I am so proud of you. Way to go. And the father hugged his son and gave him kisses. The little boy climbed off the couch and went on to his next project. He did so with a feeling of satisfaction, wholeness, that he would eagerly work to experience again, even if he didn't understand it. Whatever it was, he had found it in his dad, in the face of his father. It was something like happiness, but no, it was something deeper, something more rich, something like peace, even if he couldn't understand it. You know, I notice with my children all the time when I'm in the room, and this is true both of me and with um, my wife, is that, and if you're a parent, you've noticed, how many of you are parents here in this room? And how many of you had parents at one point? Okay, great. So um, we all can understand. Uh, I'll notice with my kids that they will constantly just kind of look up and kind of check in on mom and dad. Do you know what I mean? regardless if they have something to show me or a somersault that they'd like to impress me with, uh, they're always checking in. Is mom watching? Is dad watching? Are they there? Where's their attention? Sometimes I think it's subconscious, really. I don't know what they're really thinking, but they just look up and check. I've noticed more and more that my relationship with my children and what I offer them so much, and I have three little boys, six Five, five, seven, five, I don't know the ages of my children. And that's <laughs> fine. They're young. But I noticed that as a dad, I provide a sense of peace for my children. Um, that's what the word peace means, actually, in, in the Old Testament, this idea of shalom. In the, the, the Hebrew word was shalom. It meant a wholeness, a completeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. When God created the earth, 
before sin entered into the world. There was a great shalom between creator and creation. You understand? And I, I think in some way I, I experienced that at this level with my children. When, when they experience things kind of on either end of their experiences emotionally or whatever is going on in their lives, there seems to be uh, built in this idea that if they have a great joy, if they have a great joke, something that they've, they're proud of, there's something about it that feels incomplete and missing until it's experienced with mom or with dad. Does that make sense? When their siblings have, when, you know, have teased them, when they've stubbed a toe, when they're just tired or sad or cranky, they always come back to mom or dad. Even if I can't solve the problem that they have, there's a wholeness, a, a completeness that they experience with me. As my boys get older, they will naturally and inevitably find their father's presence less satisfying as they look for peace. We all want peace, don't we? It's not just my children. But where we go to find it changes. It's natural for me as a dad to be a road sign for my kids. A portrait of the real thing that one day will carry them for eternity. By God's grace, I, I hope that I will explain to them and show them and point them to the peace that God offers them. But the truth is, they will also have to explore the sort of peace that the world wants to offer them as well. What kind of peace does the world offer us? I think it's a cheap peace. I think the world tends to offer us diversions from the things that trouble us. To, lull, uh, to give us a, a moment of a, a, a lull from pain or worry. To suggest that by drugs or alcohol or by shopping or entertainment or escapism or any of these things that I can find peace on and on the world offers Really, it can only ever offer us free from, right? The absence of something, the absence of my worries, the absence of pain, the absence of thoughts, the absence of trouble or problems. Free from is really the only kind of peace that the world can offer. Does the world have peace? You know, I, I, this, was, this is one of the easiest sort of talks to give to students in Young Life. I would call it, we would call it the need talk. We would have a room full of students who know their leaders and friends. We've earned the right to come to them and to share with them this incredible need that is built in to all of us. And I could easily, at any point, and I've been in Young Life for 15 years, so this, this talk didn't just work in 2020. Is the world broken, I would ask? Does it lack peace? I would fill a whiteboard with the reasons that students would tell me that the world lacks peace, that something is different than it ought to be. And I would say, okay, that's the world. Well, what about the United States? How are we doing? Is there peace here? And they would tell me no. What about York? Is the factory tour capital of the world a bastion of peace? What about at home? Is there always peace at home? 
More importantly, most importantly, do you have peace? Peace in your hearts? Peace in your minds? Scripture tells us that the opposite of peace is what? Fear, anxiety. Jesus said in John, uh, he had his disciples together uh, before he would go to the cross and he was washing their feet and telling them of what the kingdom of heaven would look like and is, would look like under his reign and, and, and under his authority. And he was offering these promises and one of those promises was peace. In John, it says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, I have heard someone say recently, and I think it's rather accurate, that 2020 has kind of drained the lake a little in our lives. We're left looking at what's left over at the bottom of the lake of our hearts and of our minds. And what many of us have discovered is that fear and anxiety is there, is it not? But when we talk about fear and anxiety, I think some of us, you know, you don't struggle for a moment to go, yep, that's me. (laughs) Some of us may have just gotten so used to anxiety and fear. And look, we didn't need 20 and 20 to have anxiety and fear in our lives, right? It hasn't changed us. It's revealed more about who we are. And I thought if this morning I would invite you to kind of get honest with me, about the anxiety and fears in your life, I would do the really, really fun thing for me of telling you about my anxiety and fears. (laughs) To maybe invite you in to a little of what I mean. God here and Jesus here, when he says this peace I offer you, he is not simply saying, hey, I don't want you to ever worry. If you're a parent, guess what? You worry about your kids. Congratulations, that's built in, thank goodness. No, there's something deeper here. Here's some of the things that I wrote down about me. Maybe you'll find yourself in some of these things. (laughs) I hope. I'm going to feel real weird at the end of it if you don't. (laughs) I have a deep fear that I am loved because of what I offer others. As a result, I'm a man who must constantly crucify the need for praise. I have an anxiety that my motives are never pure. Worse than the fear of death, I have a deep fear of suffering. I know that I'm going to have to say goodbye to many people that I love, and it scares me. I have an anxiety about my doubts in faith. As if doubt isn't already unpleasant enough, I constantly fear that my doubts about God or my faith are a sign that I am not really a part of God's kingdom. I'm a fake. I'm a man who struggles with the same adolescent fear at the age of 33 that he had at 12, the fear of looking foolish. I often fear that I am not leading my family as I ought to. I love to praise God in the midst of the church and with other believers, but I feel a great constraint in my own spirit in my living room with my family. I can be crippled by catastrophizing my natural worries 
into worst case scenarios. Every time my wife leaves with the kids, I have to stop myself from just constantly imagining that I might lose them. I have a fear that my children will eventually find me out that their old man isn't as cracked up, isn't as great as he's cracked up to be. Worse yet, I fear that they won't follow the Lord. I am someone who often fears that he's never using his time well and therefore constantly struggles with guilt. I'll stop there. (laughs) But I could keep going. I know I'm not alone in having fear and anxiety in my life. And God, throughout the scriptures, is inviting us into a peace that only those who know God can understand and to have and to hold. Jesus would say, look, look at the birds in the air. Look at these flowers in the field. Look how God provides for them. Think how much more your father in heaven will provide for you. And he said that over 2,000 years ago. Fear and anxiety isn't just an American thing. Over and over, scripture is full of do not be afraid. Is it worth exploring, not just this morning, this problem of peace? In Philippians 4, Paul would speak to the church in Philippi in the midst of his circumstances, in the midst of theirs, whether it be persecution or hurt or loss, whatever they were going through, here is some of what he wrote to them. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let me read that last verse again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Romans, Paul would write about not just the peace of God, but peace with God. You see, there's a distinction between those two things. And it's an important distinction, I think, for us to know. Here he mentions the peace of God. In Romans, the peace with God. So what is peace with God? Romans 5 says that, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through through our Lord Jesus Christ. Later in Romans, it says that we were enemies, that we were alienated, cut off from God. In 2 Corinthians, it says that then God reconciled the world to himself, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. In Colossians, that it was God's good pleasure, having made peace through the blood of the cross, that he reconciled us through death, through Christ's death. And we have been presented holy, blameless, beyond reproach, the peace, peace of God, peace, I'm sorry, the peace with God is an objective peace, a transaction between God and, and every Christian. 
Every Christian through faith has peace with God. Do you understand that Christ on the cross in the grave, that Christ's righteousness has been imputed on me? that I have been saved through faith by grace, that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees his son. And that there is nothing, no height nor depth that can remove me from God's love and my peace with him. And so no matter what takeaway you get from this morning, whatever peace of God, that internal thing that I'm going to talk about, this more subjective thing that goes on in our hearts, whatever, how much of that you feel like you lack, don't ever leave here today or any Sunday feeling as though you have lost peace with God. You have not and you cannot lose peace with God. It is a transactional peace, the peace with God. And it is as a result of that objective truth that there has been a promise given to us, a gift called the peace of God. Something experiential, something internal, subjective. Think about the circumstances of the early church. Think of the life of Christ. Think about Paul's story of shipwreck, loss, torture, and eventual murder. There is no way that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is simply talking about something like a fireplace, a hot chocolate, and a good book. It's not about calmness. It's not about the absence of trouble. It's certainly not about being happy. It's an inner reality. No matter what is going on around us or in us, it is a shalom a wholeness, nothing missing, no matter the storms in us or around us, an inner ballast, an inner equilibrium, the peace of God. The word guard that Paul uses here, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. This word guard was the same word that they would use to describe what soldiers would do to circle someone, to protect them, to circle a city that the peace of God would surround our hearts, protect our hearts and protect our minds. How many brothers and sisters in Christ have you see endure the most violent kinds of, of loss and pain in their lives and yet somehow they had a supernatural peace? Have you experienced that? a peace that protects our minds and hearts from despair. And I think about my kids again. Peace with dad. I'm looking at Phil Cook right now. You know what I know about Phil as a dad? There's nothing his little girls can do to ever, ever change the fact that he loves them. My boys, sorry, dudes, I love you. What about the peace of dad. What does that look like? Something internal, something subjective, something experienced, something felt. I picture my boys in my arms. I picture the everyday interactions where for some reason my presence, my words, my love, albeit however imperfect, the peace of dad, the peace of mom, let's be real, the peace of mom, 
<laughs> it makes you think. But that's the nature of peace. Both an objective transactional peace that through our faith we have access to and is unchanged, but also this gift, the peace of God. Secondly, I'd like to share with you a discipline of peace, not just the nature of peace, but a discipline. I kind of said it makes you think. And, and, and let's look at Paul's words here as we continue in Philippians 4. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. I'm going to read it again. Listen to those words. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for listen, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I, I, I love these words from Paul so much. Because, listen, if you were to go to the, the bookstore, uh, buy the next best, I mean, how many hundreds and thousands of books are written every year for us to deal with our anxiety and worry and fears in our lives? The, the next best perspective to have on life, the, the next attitude, the silver bullet to finding calmness and rest and peace in your life over and over and again. And what none of them will do, imagine you, person, right, go to, uh, just full of fears and worries, desperate to try to be free from them. And you open it up, and the first thing it says is, let's just think the big existential questions of life first. Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? What's your purpose? Where do you found value? What's your worth? None of them will do that. There's only one book that really ever invites you to really think and that's the word of God. You can bring your worries and anxieties to God's word and it shouts back at you, think. Do you see those words from, from Paul? Think about these things. Think it through. The Bible invites us Paul says that he's learned something. You see, this is not just some talent. Well, some people are very good at having peace and others aren't. I just wasn't born with it. No, it's something he's learned. He's been thinking about something. He knows something to be true and he's washed his heart and his mind in it. The Bible invites us to think, to recognize and accept the things that bring us anxiety and fear in our lives. It asks the question, well, what are you worried about? What are you feeling anxiety about? What is that fear rooted in? Nothing else does this but the word of God. Something I value is intersecting with something I believe. And I need to bring that to
to God and say, God, what do you say about it? Well, God, I, I'm worried about losing my job. Well, what happens if you lose your job? I, I won't be able to pay my bills. What happens if you can't pay your bills? What then? Well, I might have to move out. Well, what if you have to move out? Well, then I might have to move back in with mom and dad and everyone would think I'm a failure. So you have a fear of looking like a failure. Well, what does God have to say about that? You're worthy, loved, whole, righteous. I have a fear about my kids. I want them to succeed. I worry about them every day. What does God's word have to say about that? I worry about their safety. I worry. Children are a blessing, but they're not the source of life. How many of us worry about money? Just a few. God's word tells us that money is not the source of our security, no matter how much or how little we have. For all of us, something we're all sometimes very good at avoiding as much as we can is our fear of death, fear of the end. Does, is the Bible unqualified then for that one? Is it above its pay grade? No, God's word brings life to the, to, the, to the thing that brings us often the most fear. When we look at the cross and the grave, the word of God says that death, instead of being this thing that could steal us away from God, that instead death is just this dark hallway that gets us more of him. The Bible says that, that because of the cross and because of the grave and the work of Jesus Christ, that death has no sting. The Bible invites us to think through our anxiety. Does that make sense? To think through our fears, to play it out. What is it for you? Paul was entreating the church in Philippi to think, to talk to themselves, to preach to themselves, both as individuals and as a community, so that we would know the peace of God. Back in May... I preached a sermon on Psalm 42. I know you remember it well. <laughs> and I read a quote by an author, David Lloyd-Jones. I'm going to reuse it. Listen. Have you realized that most of your lack of peace in your life, dear Christian, is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that you come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou so downcast, O oh, my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him, so he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And then he must go on to remind, and then we must go on then to remind ourselves of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself, defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. 
the Bible invites us into this discipline of thinking. Play it out. Preach to yourself. Wash yourself with the gospel and the truth of God. The nature of peace. Peace with God, peace of God. Also, this discipline of peace. To think about it. Do you preach to yourself? Do you wash yourself in the truth of God's word? Lastly, it is not just, here's my fear. All right, Matt. Okay. So you're saying that peace of God is then primarily something of self-effort. I just, I got to get out of here and I just got to start thinking right. I got to start doing better and all that kind of stuff. But here, here's the thing. We know that halfway through the week, something's going to come up. You're going to get a phone call. You're going to read that email that should have been a phone call. <laughs> and your week's going to change, right? We need help. We don't need just good Christian thoughts to try to apply to our problems. You see, Paul's words uh, further back said, not just whatever's true, whatever is right, whatever is pure. He also says what? Whatever is lovely. Well, who is right and pure and true and worthy of praise and lovely? That's right, Jesus. God is. And you see, that's something so much different than just giving God our minds. It's giving him our hearts. These promises are not meant simply to be available to act as a Christian band-aid to our troubles. A spiritual Atkins plan for stress. My worry is that so often, like going to an art gallery, we stand in awe of God's work. We stand in the art gallery of God's promises, ooing and awing over their beauty. For a moment, we feel as though we may in fact be a part of that painting, that sculpture, whatever it is. We experience a transcendence that, that pulls us in. We say, I think I can see my name. We get closer. The artwork of peace. But inevitably, we leave. And when we are eager for that feeling again, we come back on Sunday, the following week. Just random day I chose. There's no coincidence to stand and stare and look at it until we feel better. And yet, I know in this room, this room is full of testimonies of people who were no longer satisfied with just portraits and visits. The Christian at peace is the one who has not just sought after the artwork, but who has sought to cultivate a relationship with the artist himself. They have discovered that a relationship with the artist is the way in which we become a part of the promises that he's painted. It's so that it is those who have done so, who have sensed something wonderful, something like peace. They desire not just the gifts, but the gift giver, the presence of the Father, his face. They are convinced that the artist can is, and will and is painting something beautiful in their lives no matter how bleak or how awful the landscape of their lives or the world can be, if he can paint life into the cross and the grave, then he can paint life into me. Do you have peace? God sent his son who was obedient, even obedient to the cross, 
He trusted his father in heaven. No matter what the world threw at Jesus, he had peace. And on the cross, Jesus Christ would lose his peace, his shalom with the father for you and for all of those who would believe. He is a good God. There is no greater avenue to peace than a relationship with the Father. No matter what you are feeling, no matter what you are going through, he loves you. He loves you. I know that I've talked a lot about my children this morning. I can't help it. But the truth is, I'm no different than my children. No matter how old I get, I still want my earthly father's pride oriented towards me. I want my father to see himself in me, to smile. I was designed to be satisfied with his satisfaction in me. But every young man will discover, whether good or bad, that an earthly father and mother are in perfect portraits of the original. An earthly father will, by success or by failure, awaken in all of us a desire of which only our Abba Father can satisfy. A desire for peace and equilibrium. This is something we were all designed to know. I desire the face of my Father in heaven. to have his attention for his eyes to meet mine in love I want to see my father in heaven smile at me gosh I can't wait for that day to tell me he's proud will you pray with me Grace Fellowship meet me father meet us in your word by your spirit and through your people God, I thank you for the many portraits which have, which have stirred our affections for you, for your son who has given me access to your forgiveness, for our families, our spouses, our children, our friends, our church. God, I pray that we would be a portrait of unconditional love, no matter how broken, for our friends. God, I pray I would be a portrait of sacrifice, no matter how imperfect, to my wife. God, may I be a portrait of your satisfaction, no matter how difficult to my children. May I always show them my face to meet them eye to eye. God, may they always find satisfaction in my joy in them. And may they one day be satisfied by a father who loves them fully, perfectly. But God, no matter what we are to others, God, I long for the day when all the portraits are made complete by the real thing. God, how I long to see your face, to see you smile at me. Perhaps <laughs> I could hold your face in my hands. Until then, guide my mind, my heart, my hands to be satisfied in you. May I know the peace of God then, now, and forever. Amen. Grace Fellowship, do you know the peace of God? This week, 
I'm going to invite you to do something. I want you to think about your fears. Dive in. Play it out. On your way home today, would you, with your children, with your spouse, with your friend, if you're alone, call someone. Tell them about your fears. Ask them to help you play it through and talk about what God says about them. Don't just pursue escape from anxiety and fear. Don't just settle for worldly peace, a stupid, shallow peace, a cheap version of the real thing. Instead, pursue the peacemaker. Give him your head. More importantly, give him your heart. And may you know the peace of God, an aggressive, conquering kind of peace a peace that triumphs over the world, a peace that moves out, protects us and others from despair, a peace that imbues us and our community with courage, confidence, and love, a peace found in the arms of our Father, in his presence, in his face. As a benediction for you to go today, Grace Fellowship, would you stand? I'm going to read to you number six, verses 24. Verse 24. This has been read to you, I know, before. And at the very end, the pastor says, go in peace. And you heard, see you later. (laughs) Right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. Thank you, Grace Fellowship. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.